We're going to be starting a new series here today. We told you a little bit about it two weeks ago when we were last, uh, I was last teaching with you. Of course, Marty was here last weekend. That was, was sure good. We enjoyed that. Look forward to the next time we get to have him come on by. But we're going to be talking about, and I, the, I'm sure this is not going to be the title of the series uh, for long. It is for right now. But we want to see how do, how do we become complete? How do we get to be complete? It seems to me that a lot of things that we're doing in life are taking things away from us that God intends for us to have. And we're not doing the things that we should be doing. And we are, uh, we are doing some things that we should be stopping. And if we stop doing the things we aren't supposed to be doing, and if we start doing the things we're supposed to be doing, we're going to find that we have much more than we thought, that we are more complete than we thought of before. So we want you to get hold of these things and to see what's going on in the Word of God. And the first area we're going to be taking on is the area of joy. The area of joy. How is it that we can have complete joy? Now, in 2 Corinthians 13... In verse 9, it says, In this also we pray that you may be made complete. We are to be made complete. God wants us to, to become complete, but it's, it's a process. We're not there just yet. How many of y'all know there's some things lacking in your life you like to have? Yeah, we like to have those things. So how do I get those things in? Some of those things have eluded us for a long period of time. We have been saying, oh, I like to have this in my life. And it's not there. And we think, oh, I, you know, just because we want it, just because we long for it, doesn't mean that it's going to happen. How do I get those things that the Word of God shows me should be in my life, in my life, that are lacking, that are not there? And the first one we're going to take care of is joy. We're going to be looking at the, the Word of God in the area of joy. How many people could use more joy? Now, now, don't just say, well, you can always use more joy. No, that's not true. It is not true that you can always have more joy. That can't be possible, is it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't the Word of God say that your joy may be? full if something is full is there room so it is possible that your joy can be full isn't that right yeah it sure can you know when we go on out there you, you get yourself a cup i mean you've gone to the to the wawa and you got yourself a coffee cup for those of you who like coffee now you fill that thing up to the to the full or it's full and then try and put a lid on it well that lid wants to come into the cup a little bit and it makes it tough to put the lid on because the cup is full. So after you do the first one, you learn a little bit. Don't make it full. Put a little bit down so that you have room for the, the top and it doesn't spill over and make a mess. So we adjust to that. But God wants your joy to be full. He doesn't, there's no room in the Word of God. It doesn't really seem that it becomes empty. It just wants it to be full. So how is it that you can have a glass of water and have it always be full? How do you do that? Well, simple. You put it under the faucet and leave it there. Don't ever take it out. Now, one of the things that, uh, you know, the, one of the hobbies I have, I like to the, do the reef tanks. One of the contraptions they have, and I haven't been able to put this on my, my tank yet, but eventually I'm going to be able to do this. Um, one of the contraptions they have is, you know how fish tanks evaporate water? And when you, how many have ever had a freshwater fish tank? It makes no difference at all whether your whether you're freshwater fish tank, you add water to it or not. It doesn't change anything in the tank. But when you have a saltwater tank and you have a marine tank and water evaporates, there's a few things that happen. The salinity of the water increases. 
And so if you add a whole lot of fresh water at one time to supplement, because you don't add salt water. If you add salt water, you have a Dead Sea effect. And the salt just keeps building up. Because the only thing that evaporates is water. Salt doesn't evaporate. It stays right in there. So you have to replace the fresh water. So the best thing to do is to always have the tank full. Now, in a saltwater environment, you have, most people are set up with, you look at the tank, it's always at the same level. Always at the same level. Because it's down in the sump, this is where you have the water fluctuation. Well, they make a contraption that measures the water in the, there's usually three or four sections in a sump. But one section, the water fluctuates, high and low. If it gets too low, then your return pump sucks air and it's not good. But you don't want to get down that low. So what they have is they have these automatic filling contraptions. And what it does is they work in all kinds of ways. Some of them work with a float uh, switch and some of them work by magnetic eye. They have an eye that's in there and they, they have some magnet things that, that go on. But however it works, it, it works that as soon as it gets a little bit low, it triggers for your reservoir of fresh water to kick in and start filling in water. So a little bit is added all the time. And what happens to your salinity? Very little. It stays the same. Well, God wants us to be able to stay the same this way, to have our joy full. He wants you to always be able to stay full. That you have a reservoir that just keeps pumping more joy in, more joy in, more joy in. That you never get empty. You know, we should never have to get before God and say, God, fill me with joy. Oh, I'm so down today. But see, we're doing some things that are actually taking away from our joy instead of helping us out. So how are we made complete? The first thing we have to do, well, we start... I've got to realize that I'm incomplete. That's not too hard for most of us. Most of us come to God and say, God, I don't, I'm incomplete. I have, there is so much I'm lacking in life. We don't have a problem with that most of the time. But some people might. But once you come to that realization, then we first become aware of the particular good qualities or things that I lack. That's the first thing I have to do. I have to realize, what is it that I lack? In Acts chapter 16, verse 30, it says this, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. So he realized, I'm not saved. So he says, How do I get saved? What's, uh, what's Peter tell him? Here's what you got to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Now he knows what to do. So now I, I realize I have a lack. Here's what I can do to, to fix that lack. We got to take that and plug it in. There's another verse of scripture I want you to see in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he realizes, I don't quite feel that I'm on this, the side of eternal life. He said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? So I realize I've been doing these things. You know, it's not pride to go before God and say, God, I've been doing that. He may come back to you and say, You're not doing it well, or you're not doing it right. But you can have a conversation with God. God, I'm doing that. So he says, I've been doing all that since I was young. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven <clears throat> and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had great possessions. Oh, it's tough to get rid of all those things. So he, he was told, here's the one thing you lack. Here it is. And he couldn't, he couldn't go that way. 
just couldn't make the, the switch. You've got to be ready to make that change. And here's the second one. Second, we make changes to facilitate adding those things to our lives. Once you realize that there's a lack, you've got to be willing to make the changes in your life to bring those things in. If we realize that there's a lack in my diet and I'm going to make a change and add this type of material in there, then that's what you go out there and you do. And you add those particular things in on, on that. You know, my, we're talking about my wife's plate and my plate all the time. We went out to the that smorgasbord. What's that? Uh, Shady Maple. Anybody ever been there? I think we took the church group out there one time, didn't we? Oh, yeah, it was good. Well, I haven't been there for, for a dinner like this. So we went there for dinner. You know, they had, uh, they had meat. They had meat. So, you know, why waste time on the vegetable and a salad? What? Are you talking fucking salad? No, we're over there on the meat side. And we had, uh, we had salmon and mahi-mahi. And they had catfish, and I, I tried it. I didn't, didn't like it. I didn't go back for more catfish. They had brisket, and they had um, uh, cheesesteaks. And see, I had all, all of them. <laughs> every one, had every one. Um, and it was good. And they had, uh, they had some good bread there, and we had some... Uh, that my wife comes back with this plate and she's proud of this plate she's very proud of this plate this plate has all type of vegetable matter on it and and carrots and i think some onions in there and kale and all kinds of other green things and she was talking about how healthy this plate was <clears throat> but she had fun she had fun she enjoyed her meal i enjoyed my meal it was good she doesn't have to eat the things i enjoy thank god i don't have to eat the things that she enjoys we make those things. But if you want to have a change in your diet, you've got to be willing to make the changes, right? I have to be willing to cook different, buy different, eat different. If I'm not willing to do that, I'm not going to see the thing that I lack be added into my life. So we have to be willing to make those changes. And third, we develop habits to sustain these, these additions. You gotta, it has to be sustainable. If you cannot sustain it, does you no good. You have to be able to keep it up. You know, if you have an exercise program and you exercise real good for a whole week, is that going to help you? No, you have to sustain it. You've got to keep it going. And then the next week, and 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 you keep going. And you get that thing sustained. Bible study, prayer, these are all things that are good to do, but you've got to sustain them. You've got to keep them going on in your life. Not just to be one time here and and then gone. In 1 John verse 1, verse 4, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So he's writing some things to help you get your joy full. He, uh, over in 2 John, his second letter, Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Now there he says that our joy may be full. How many know this? People can bring you joy. People can bring you joy. I know they can bring you other things, but they can bring you joy. People can bring you joy. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your, your tears, that I may be filled with joy. There's that being filled there again, filled with joy. That when you get in the presence of some people, they can actually impart joy to you. It does not mean that these people that Paul is getting around are perfect themselves. 
It just means that he is able to extract from them joy. There are people in your life right now that you can extract joy from, but you have not done it. But they are there, and you can extract joy from them. We need to do the things to extract the joy. Now, events can bring you joy, too. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. You all know that events can bring you joy. How many of you have received something that brought you great joy? You felt joyful when that thing came. This is good. These, these folks saw the star. Oh, they were glad. They were glad with exceedingly great joy. Exceedingly great joy. In Matthew 28 and verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' words. Because he came down to the tomb, found the tomb empty, heard from the angels, glory to God, he's risen. And they were filled with great joy. Events can bring you great joy. People can bring you great joy. Now, how many of you know the, op- the opposite is also true? Have you ever had an event that brought you great sadness? Took away every bit of joy you had. How many of you know people in your life that can come along and take away all your joy? You were full, now you're not. It's just like, you know, if you have a, a two or three-year-old around and there's a full glass of water, not in a sippy cup. And that two-year-old is getting closer and closer to that water. What's your mind begin to think? They're going to spill it. They're going to knock it over. It's going to spill. And so you generally either go over and you move the thing or you suffer the results. Thing gets spilled. But when it's spilled, it goes from being full to being empty. Now, what happens, at least we think this with some of us, is that in the process of us getting empty of joy, we think we got broken too. You see, if a glass gets broken, it doesn't hold anything more. You can't fill it up with, with water anymore. It's done. But you're not broken. You are able to hold joy and to be filled with joy. We just got to do the right things. So people and events, they can bring joy, they can bring sadness. But they're not lasting. Whatever an event brings me as far as joy is only lasting for, you know, an hour, a day, short period of time. It's not that long that that thing brings me joy. And eventually, the joy that it brought, it's not there anymore. The person who brought me joy, when they leave, that joy generally goes away. How do we make these things more permanent? Well, again, John tells us this. These things I write to you. It's not the things that happen, and it's not the people around us that bring us joy that fills us up. It's what has been written. That's where we need to extract our joy from. We need to go into these things where events and people bring joy and bring them to a full cup where they just put more joy in there. What happens when you put more water in a full cup? That overflows. You can benefit the people that are around you. You can't hold anymore. Wouldn't it be nice all the time to have all the joy you can hold? You cannot hold any more joy. That's all you can hold. You must find the joy in what is written, not what is done, done or felt. So there's some joy killers that are out there. We've got to identify some of these joy killers. <clears throat> now we can come into joy suddenly, and it can also leave in the same way. We can suddenly... Wow, there's joy. And then suddenly, it's gone. It can happen very quickly. But you cannot be joyful 
Put this in your outline for you, so it's written right there. You cannot be joyful while you participate in fear, worry, or anxiety. Can you have joy and be in fear? Picture of a time then fear suddenly came in. Were you filled with joy? No. Can you picture this? Here you are at home all by yourself. Maybe it's the first time you're at home all by yourself. And everybody in the house had to leave. And then all of a sudden the storm came up. High winds, lightning, thunder. And you start hearing noises you never heard before. And then all of a sudden you hear a really loud noise. And you didn't like that noise. And fear fills you up. How many of you are also at that moment experiencing joy? Now joy has gone. When fear comes in, joy leaves. When joy comes back in, what happens to fear? It's gone. They can't, they can't live in the same place. Fear doesn't do it. When you become anxious about stuff, are you filled with joy? If you're becoming anxious about your job, anxious about your finances, anxious about a family situation, whatever, anxiety comes in, what happens to the joy? It just leaks all out. You see that same cup that can be filled with water? can also be filled with air. When it's filled with air, it's not filled with water. When it's filled with water, it's not filled with air. Now, you can have a half full of water and half filled with air in a cup. But how many can do that? In your, can you harbor anxiety and joy at the same time? No. So how do you get the air out of the cup? Fill it with water. You've got to fill it with something else. So if you want to get the anxiety, if you want to get the fear out of your life, fill it up with something else. Worry is the same way. Worry is a, is a joy stealer. Worry, fear, and anxiety, they're all kind of you know, cousins to each other. And they will take your joy and they will get rid of it. The Word of God tells us in Philippians 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We've said that verse a number of times. You all have it, should have it memorized by now. But he says, Be anxious for so if I become anxious for anything, have I done what's written in the Word of God? What is John saying? These things I write to you, that your joy may be full. We've got to take the things that are written in the Word of God and do them in order to have our joy full. So be anxious for nothing. If I don't do that, my joy is going to be gone. If the Word of God gives me a command that says, be anxious for nothing, can I do that? Yeah, it doesn't feel like I can do it at the time, but I can get rid of the anxiety. I can chase it out. I, I will not be anxious for this thing. I will let it go. Well, can we experience God's joy while walking in doubt and unbelief? What happens to God's joy when you walk in doubt and unbelief? It's gone. It takes off. I mean, it's, it was here, and all of a sudden, doubt and unbelief came in and... It's gone. Took it right, right away. I got to make sure I stay in faith. What about anger? Can you be angry and, and be filled with joy? It's kind of a weird thing to have happen together. No. Unforgiveness? I mean, you could be walking on down the street filled with joy. Oh, just thinking about all the good things you've got. And then all of a sudden you see that person who did you wrong. Oh, there's that one. 
And unforgiveness just kind of rises up on the inside of you. What happened to your joy? Right out. Right out. Word of God says that our joy may be full. The goal is for your joy to be full. Resentment, unforgiveness, anger, if any of those things come in, they will remove your joy from you. Now, the enemy wants to pull you into these things. They will, he's, he is trying to pull you into fear. He is trying to pull you into anxiety. He is trying to pull you into worry. He's trying to pull you into doubt and unbelief. He's trying to pull you into anger and resentment. He wants to pull you into these. If he can pull you into these things, then what God wants you to have is gone. He can't steal your joy, but if he puts fear in your life, if he sows a thought and fear comes in, joy is gone. If anxiety comes in, if resentment comes in, fear, all these things come in, your joy is gone. He has successfully taken away your joy by putting in something else. We can't let him do it. It's up to me to do that. Now, you can go into the area of, of, of marriage, or you can, some of these things, you can look at just regular, regular, um, uh, well, these, the first one here, conversations. How many like to have conversations with people? We like to, we like to talk with people. I'm not just your spouse. You like to have conversations with other people. It's just sometimes fun just to have, just to, to chit-chat and to, and to talk and have conversations with people. We were doing that. We were over at Shady Maple, and we were coming on out of there. We were full. We were full. There was no room for anything else. It was, we were done. I leave a smorgasbord. I leave it full. I leave a fast, I live a fasted life, but not when I go to the smorgasbord. I go to the smorgasbord. We're not fasted life anymore. We're on full, full scale eating. And it was, a, it was, it was fun to be doing that. We're coming on out of the restaurant and there was a, there was a gentleman there and he was uh, uh, standing in line with his family. He had little, little kids there and stuff. I was just drawn to him. I said, uh, oh, man, you got a long wait. Because at that time, they had a long wait. We had no wait when we got there. They had a, anybody, if you've not been to Shady Maple, it is the largest restaurant I have ever seen. I don't know if it's the largest one in the world. I can't tell you about that. It's just the largest one I have ever seen. And they had all the rooms open. And they had a line, a long line, when we left to get in to eat. I told the man, I said, oh, you got a long wait. Long way to go. But I said, it's worth it. I said, have you been here before? He says, no, it's my first time. I said, oh, it's my third. It's, it's wonderful. Oh, it's so good. And so we started talking, and he said, we just came from um, uh, sight and, the, the, the Sight and Sound thing. And I said, oh, then you went and saw Samson. He said, yeah, that's the one we saw. <laughs> he said, so we were having a conversation. We were just talking about this. And, well, the, the family was getting ready to go, so I exited and went on, on over. But it's just nice to have conversations like that with people. I have this guy. He's not in my neighborhood. He's in the neighborhood up the street from me. And I would see his face all the time. Every time I would see him, he's out there cutting the lawn. He's out there watering the lawn. He's out there working on something. He's out there sitting on his porch. He's obviously retired. Always smiling. Always smiling. Every time I saw him, he's smiling. I, we eventually got to the point, you know, I like, I'm, a, I'm a waving runner. I told you that before. When I run, I wave at people. I wave at walkers. I walk at, wave at runners. I wave at bikers. I wave at them all. Hey, how you doing? You're out here. That's good. Well, I started waving to this guy and um, just waving at him. And, and after a while, I said, you know what? I need to go see who he is. And so um, I didn't see him for a little bit, but when I did finally see him. I stopped. I walked on over. I shook his hand. I said, hi, my name is Steve. And he said, hi, my name is Mike. 
And we sat there and we had a conversation, found out what he did and found out a little bit about me. And we just talked to each other for a little bit. And, and so um, then I, well, I'm going to pick up and go running. And so I picked up and I went running. Another time I came by and he was sitting out there on the porch with his wife. And it had been a couple of weeks since I had seen him. Uh, last and so I said, "Hey, where'd you go on vacation?" I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we got this place down in Cape May. He owns a place in Cape May, a little over, over a retirement place, you know." And he he goes and tells me about the place in Cape May. He tells me about the things he did there, and um, his wife was there, and uh, I tried to engage her in conversation, not as as much in engaging in conversation, but he was, and he's smiling the whole time. I loved his smile. His smile was great, and so we had a conversation. You know that brings joy, brings joy to him, brings joy to me. Conversations, conversations are good. But people have lost the, the art of conversation. And, and, and especially, folks, married couples. You have lost the art of conversation. Because if you had the conversations that you have as married couples when you were dating, you would still be single. Well, amen. That's true. Preach on. I mean, just think about this. If you had the conversations, if you started out conversations the way you start them out with your spouse... They would never have called you back again. Because we start them out unpleasant. We don't start out, we're not talking nice to each other. When you're dating, you were conscious of it. When you got married, threw it out the window. We lost the art of conversation. There's people all around you. Stop and say hi to them sometime. Have some conversation. They will bring joy to your life. You will bring joy to their life. It's a win-win. That's a good thing. If they don't want to have conversations with you, don't let that impact your joy. Smile. <laughs> and just go on. We'll find somebody else who, who wants to get involved in spreading some joy. Have conversations. And when you have conversations, talk about nice things. Talk about fun things. You know, how many hate to have this conversation? We need to talk. What happens? Where can I go? Where can I, where can I leave? <laughs> We're just trying to get out. How can you have a good conversation when it starts off that way? You know, and we're not just talking married couples. We're talking, but it happens a lot with, with married couples. You know, I found out when you have to have a serious talk with somebody in church or somebody who's a believer, then because there's some things going on in their life that isn't too, going too good, I never set it up ahead of time. You know, I never go up to Mandy. We need to talk about some things. Tell you what, I got, I got an open spot a week and a half for now. Can we book it? Now, what's she going to be doing for a week and a half? How bad is it? It must be bad. And we don't, there's, there is no reason to do that, is there? Now, I try and find, and sometimes it takes me a little longer to have the conversation with people, but I try and find ways to catch them. You know, hey, we have the, and it just diffuses the whole thing so it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. And we talk about the thing, and we deal with it, and we're done. Five minutes. We can be done. And, uh, and we move on. You can have much better conversations if you get creative in the way that you have some of the hard conversations instead of, we need to talk. Because that doesn't come over real well. Have, have nice, pleasant conversations. If you want, how many people like to have folks who come up and just say hi? Just talk with you. Yeah, that's good. Then be pleasant. Be pleasant. If they come up and they say, hi, how you doing? Terrible. Okay, well, I got to go. <laughs> right? Why well, do not want to do that? If you come up to somebody, you're trying to have a conversation, you're like, hey, how, are, how is things going? And all you hear for the next 15 minutes 
It's terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. How many have been watching that, that new show, um, uh, Last Man Standing? Anybody? Anybody not watched it? Anybody not seen the show, Last Man Standing? Tim Allen. New show by Tim Allen. The old show, he had three boys. New show, he has three girls. Other than that, no, it's, uh, there's some other differences in there. But uh, there's one time we came, he, he came into work, and there was a homeless guy who was, anybody remember the episode, the homeless guy? He was sitting out by the, by the uh, place, and he got chased away. And so um, nobody knew about this homeless guy. And all of a sudden, Tim Allen, he comes in and he starts, you know, does anybody even know what his name is? And Tim goes, oh, yeah, his name is, and he says his name. He's from here. He used to do this. He worked there. He's done this. He came from this place. And now he and his family, he told him a whole life story. And they all looked at him shocked and said, how do you know all that about him? He said, he said, I made the mistake of asking him how things are going. <laughs> And he, he told them all kinds. Have the art of conversation. Talk with people. But to realize if you don't make the conversation pleasant, they are not going to repeat it. They're going to say, oh, I remember talking with that one. Go, run. And they'll try and get away. But have conversations. Have good conversations with people. Especially with your, your, your spouse. Especially with your kids. Start some good conversations. Find people. You find them in line. Just, uh, just stop and have conversations with them. I do that often, especially when I'm by myself. No one else is, you know, no one's there. You have to hurry up and get going for somebody. Just stand in line and just talk to people. Yeah. Just, you, you have some fun. And you know what? People enjoy it when you do that. They just, the smile comes on their face. Oh, they're just talking to me. They're just seeing how, how things are going. They're just, you know, they heard me, heard me say something. Now, sometimes I'll see somebody with a Dallas Cowboy Thing going. And I can start a pleasant conversation with a Dallas Cowboy fan. <laughs> I am able to do that. You can do it too. But have good conversations with people. And, and, and pick up that art of conversing. And then people will seek you out. Oh, I had a good conversation with them before. I'm going to go have another conversation with them. I talk to them. They're a sourpuss. They're, they're probably not going to Gonna be doing things now. Here's another one. This one's more for married couples. If you're not married, this probably won't mean as much to you. But if you are married, it'll have some. This is intimacy. You know, I did some search research on this beforehand, and uh, just was asking some things. You know, you know uh, because it seems that in this society, before people get married, the whole relationship is about sex. After they get married, it is for a little while, and then it begins to be less and less and less and less. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. How many are familiar with this scripture? Now, concerning the things which, which he wrote to me. Now, if you're not sure what that is, we've talked about this before, but just to refresh everybody on this. They had written a letter. This is the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul had gone to Corinth, and he taught them some things about the Word of God. And some of the things about the Word of God was the person that you're married to, you have intimate relations only with them. In the city of Corinth, that's not how it was. Your marriages were arranged by your parents and the purpose of marriage was for having children and raising them. That is the only purpose for marriage. They had worship at the temples that involved sex for pleasure. So sex for pleasure at the temple with the prostitutes. Sex for children at home with your wife or your husband. That's how they lived. This was their society. So Paul comes in with the gospel and says, uh, 
That person that you're married to? Yeah, that's, that's all for you. And so uh, Paul left and they were thinking about this. Wait a minute. I can't go to the temple anymore. I can't participate in all that stuff with the prostitutes. So they wrote Paul. said, Paul, uh, we're having trouble with, with this part. And so this is what they did. So Paul writes them back. So when he starts out now concerning the things which he wrote to me, that's what they wrote to him. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, the word there for touch, you can do your own research on it, but we're not just talking about going up and touching her shoulder. All right? Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now, now let's go, go on here. Let, let the husband render to the wife, verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Right? Now, how many people have ever heard this thing taken out of context and people and a husband says, you will cut your hair short. You will leave your hair grow long. You will wear this. You will not wear that. I have authority over your body. And try and do stuff like that. That's not what this thing is talking about, folks. The context of this verse is very simple. Anybody want to take a gander what it is? It's sex. That's it. That's the topic. That is what he is talking about. So when he talks about the wife having authority over the husband's body and the husband having authority over the wife's body, it is talking about that area only. That's the context. He's not talking about other stuff. Don't go over there and try and say, wife, no more makeup. Or you will wear makeup. <laughs> That's not it. You don't have jurisdiction that way. My wife talks about makeup all the time. She doesn't like to wear it. She says, you wish I wear more makeup? I said, you wear makeup if you want to wear makeup. If you don't want to wear makeup, don't wear it. She'll come to me. she says, do you want me to cut my hair short? I said, I like your hair short. I like your hair long. Cut it the way that you like. <laughs> now she comes to me. She tries to say, let your hair grow long. I said, no. <laughs> she says, you keep cutting your hair short. I said, yes. And I'll keep cutting it short. I, I like my hair short. She, if, she cuts, if she comes home, she says, don't be surprised if I come home. My hair's all short. I said, it's fine. I said, I like your hair short. I like your hair long. However you want to do your hair, I'm fine. I'm happy with that. It's good. I don't have authority over that. And I don't try and take authority over that. That's not what this verse is talking about. But how many of you all know, husbands and wives, you get into a thing and my body is my body. Leave me alone. That's not scriptural. Now we go on. Now, I was studying on this thing, meditating on this thing some for, for a little bit of time, and I never saw this until this morning. I woke up this morning and just was pondering on some of these scriptures, that, uh, and this came to me. I have never saw this before. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. How many people have ever asked this question, how often... Should a husband and wife have sex? How often should that be? Does the Bible address the question at all? Does the Bible ever say how often a husband and wife should have sex? It, it, most people would say it does not say anything at all. However, I'm about to change your opinion on that. Now look at this verse of Scripture again. Do not deprive one another. What's it talking about depriving each other? Not having sex. 
Do not deprive one another except for consent for a what? Time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, let me ask you this question. How long can you fast? I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about what has been done in the Word. How long can you fast? How many can fast for a day? How many can fast for two days? How many seven-dayers do we have? How many people can push 10? 14. How many people can go past 30? 30 days. How many people can go past 40? All right. So we're saying we're in that, uh, that uh, 14 to 30 range somewhere inside there. For, from, but some of us not even there. Right? All right. I would dare say this, that most marriages in America have so little sex involved that this verse is meaningless to them. Because they fast for fewer days than they deprive each other on a regular basis. Well, amen. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, if you are going to deprive each other by consent for a time for fasting and prayer, then after the fasting and prayer ends, what also ends? The depriving. But most, if you go go into the stats anymore, most couples are not having sex even once a week. Some, not even once a month. Can you see where that verse of Scripture has absolutely no bearing on them at all? Because they have already decided to deprive each other, one or the other. That's not good. Look at, this is an exhortation by Paul. Do not deprive one another. Isn't that what it says? Is that a command? Yeah. And then you know how many Christian, I'm not even talking to the world, how many Christian marriages, sex has gone out? We've, we've made it dirty. We made, we sometimes, you know, I, the last time I talked about this, y'all got embarrassed. <laughs> and when we talked about it before, we told you the purpose of sex is not for having kids. If, it, if the purpose for having sex was to have kids, God is extraordinarily inefficient. Because how many times has a married couple, say in the first five years, have been intimate with each other, and how many kids have they had to show for it? That's, that's great inefficiency. That's not the main purpose. The main purpose of, of intimacy in a marriage is to bring the two together, is to join the husband and wife. And so what the devil does is he loves to get unmarried people into a sexual relationship because he is joining together what God has not joined yet. Because the sex is joining together what God has not joined yet. And then once God has joined them, he wants to tear it apart. So he tears it apart by sewing it into one or the other. You're not interested. You don't need this. Telling them they're not interested. And less and less and less is going on. And generally in a marriage, one person has decided we're not going to have sex. And the other one is going along with it because one person decided. Do not deprive one another except by, with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. I also tell you this. Most Christian marriages who are depriving each other one, uh, of, of sexual relationships are not de- dedicating themselves to prayer and fasting. That is the only reason for it in the Word of God. And afterwards, after the prayer and fasting is done, come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. Is that not what the Bible says? Now, I went outside here and I got some other things for this. And um, there's this uh, particular doctor. The name is Dr. 
Kerner. No idea who they are, but it was a great quote. Sex seems to be rapidly falling to the bottom of America's to-do list, but in my experience, when couples stop having sex, the relationship becomes vulnerable to anger, detachment, infidelity, and ultimately divorce. Does that not sound like something that the devil wants to have us fall into? I believe that sex matters. It's the glue that keeps us together, and without it, couples become good friends at best or bickering roommates at worst. Now, some of the reasons that God put this into a marriage relationship. Look at some of the benefits that um, medical folks have, have come up with this, for this thing. First off, it helps keep your immune system humming. It actually produces some antibodies that uh, keep your... Uh, and in particular, it gives you resistance to the cold and flu. Your, your resistance to cold and flu increases. It boosts your libido, of course. It lowers your blood pressure and risk of stroke and heart disease. It counts as exercise. It lowers heart attack risk. It lessens pain. It actually produces a compound that is very similar to morphine and will actually help in your body control pain. It may make prostate cancer less likely. Now look at these stats. One study found that men who averaged having sex four to seven times a week were 36% less likely to receive a prostate cancer diagnosis before the age of 70. Now, 36% less than what? 36% less than those who had sex one to three times a week. Now, put a zero in there on where you're going. Why is prostate cancer up in America? It improves sleep, which gives you more energy. It will help you sleep. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Any married couple having trouble with sleep, what should you do? It eases stress. It actually does things for your body to ease stress. And you all know marriage puts more stress on you than just if you were single. If you were single, life is not as stressful. Get married, stress increases. You got the kids, you got the husband, you got the wife. Stress can come up. It can be being greater. But God put built right into it and out. It, in, it enhances your sense of smell. It makes you look younger. Now, this affects probably the ladies more than the men. Good ladies are always trying to look younger. All right, wives, if you want to look younger. Now, remember we told you that the purpose of the God put sexual intercourse into the marriage was to bond them together? All right, here's the scientific part of it. It is, uh, there is a hormone that is produced called oxytocin, oxytocin, which can stimulate bonding. There are benefits for women, and I'm not going to read all, There are more benefits for women than for men. If you have been embarrassed so far, I will not read for you the entire list because it will get more embarrassing. But you can go and do the same thing I did and look it up. Women... There are many benefits for you health-wise. I wrote one down. I don't know if I should say it. I don't know if I should say it. All right. For women, contact with semen during intercourse can act as an antidepressant. There's a lot more to it than that. But I'll, I'll stop at that one. For men, 
Men who had, had sex at least twice a week had a 50% lower mortality risk than those who had sex less often. 50%. Other benefits, it increases your satisfaction with mental health. It increased levels of trust, intimacy, and love in your relationships. It improved the ability to perceive, identify, and express emotions. It lessened the use of immature psychological defense mechanisms or the mental process to reduce the stress from emotional conflict. It has a lot of benefits. If you want to go up there, and you know, there's more. I'm not reading them all to you. I, I stopped at the PG side. But, f- folks, if you have a Christian marriage, until the day that you die, you should be intimate with your spouse. Well, I'm too tired. Guess what helps that? <laughs> well, I'm too sore. Guess what helps that? Well, I'm not in the mood. Guess what helps that? Uh-huh. You will help yourself. All right, here's another one. Activities. How many like to do fun things? Our lives should have fun things involved. We've got to make sure that when we are doing activities, especially with our spouses, but even other people, when we are doing activities, make them fun. If you go on an activity with a bunch of people and it's fun, don't you come back charged up, glad, happy? If you go on an activity with a bunch of people and they're all acting selfish and they irritate you and you come back, are you happy? No. Joy's gone. Have activities and have some fun with it. Do some things that are fun. Now, you can go on an activity with a lot of people who are no fun and have fun. Just push them out. But have activities. Do fun things together and keep them fun. You've got to keep the drive there fun. Husbands and wives, how many times are you, going, you want to go somewhere and one of you always wants to bring up negative discussion? What's that going to mean to the other person? We are not going on any activities. Now, we don't go on any activities, and what happens? The fun leaves. No, you've got to keep it fun. If you're going on an activity, husbands, wives, have good conversations with each other. Fun conversations. Talk about things you would talk about if you were dating them. Because some of the things we talk about would chase people away. Have fun conversations. Enjoy yourselves. If you're single... And you're out with folks, have fun conversations. Do activities with other people, but be fun. You know, if talking about the election is going to bring you down, talk about something else. I don't need to talk about the election to people. I'm not changing my mind. I don't watch the debates. I have not watched the debate, not watching any more debates. Now, some of you might want, if you want to watch the debates, fine. I'm not telling you not to do it. It wouldn't be fun for me. It would not be fun for me. I don't, I, I get upset at the, the uh, people who are supposed to run the debate, the way that they ask the questions, the way that they bring up issues that make no difference, and they're not talking about issues that do make a difference, that's frustrating to me. I get tired of politicians who don't answer questions, give you a 15-minute answer, and they didn't say anything. I don't like that. I already have my mind made up. There is nothing anyone could do to get me to vote for the one And there's nothing anyone could do to get me to stop voting from the other. It's not that I love one more than the other. Well, I do love one more than the other, but it's not that I'm that much in love. It's just, uh, it's a very clear choice for me. 
And I don't need to watch any more debates. Now, there's a debate tonight. If you all want to watch it, go ahead. I'm not telling you not to watch it. I like fun activities. That's not a fun activity. But it might be fun for you. Some folks actually have some fun. They sit there and they, they diagnose it in certain ways and they, and they come out there and they have fun. You have fun watching. Go ahead. I'm not telling you that you're less of a person, not as good of You have fun with it. Great. Great. You may be saying, Steve, you could do a better job having fun with it. Probably could. Don't want to. They're just... The news media just drives me crazy on these things. They just are not, uh, they are not even with this. They, they go back into the one candidate 11 years ago. I've just heard they served for something from 11 years ago. But they won't go back into the other candidate last week, last month, last year. That's not, that's not right. Anyway, activities. Do fun things together. Keep it fun. From the drive there, when you're there, do fun things. Have fun. Don't let the idiosyncrasies of the other person get on your nerves. Just determine, nope, nope, we're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy this, this thing. If they eat funny, if they drink funny, well, you know, you married them. If you're not married to them, then consider the future. But go out there and have some fun. Make sure you're, you're doing those things. Because you need to have some fun things in your life. If all you do is work, all you do is work and go to sleep. There's not a whole lot more reasons to keep on going. Keep things fun. Look for those fun things that you can do. And not all of that to cost money, but, but have some fun things. Husbands and wives, don't feel like every activity you have to do has to be with each other. Kick them out of the house every once in a while. Let them go out. Let the husbands go out with the guys and do some stuff. Let the wives go out with the girls. I mean, husbands, you don't like shopping with her. Say, here's my, here's my card. Go shopping with your, with your friends. She'll be happy. You'll be happy. Hopefully. Now you can set limits and say, well, we can spend this much as what we have. You know, I'm sure she's just as in tune with what you can spend as you are. But, uh, you know, find some, ways to, find some ways to do that. You know, I've, I got a weekly activity every Tuesday night. I go over and I, I run with the guys. I mean, there's girls there too, but not too many of them up with us. I got passed by a girl this last Tuesday. Never saw her before. She's the first time there. She was up there. Where she, she stayed up with the fast. There's one fast pack that's ahead of me, and then I'm behind them, and then there's other people behind that. But the, the fast pack that was ahead of me, they, they, they were out there, and she ran right with them. She's going to town. She's going good. But there's a couple of guys, and none of them were there this Tuesday. Not a single one. Had to run alone. But that's all right. We'll, we'll come on out another time, and, and we'll be there. But, you know, we have fun chatting beforehand, chatting afterwards. It's... Uh, that's a good thing. Keep those fun activities going on. Have those things to, to look, look for. You know, if your wife wants to go out once a, once a week, meet up with some ladies for breakfast. Let her do it. Take the kids. If there aren't any kids involved, then it's even easier. But do, do some fun activities. Keep those things going. So do things together. Do things away from you. Do things in a group. Group things are fun. Keep them fun. When was the last time that you had a really fun activity that you did with your spouse or what you did with a group of friends? When was the last time you had one that was really fun? You need to have some more of those in your life. These things are good to do. Now, here's, a, here's the thing. Who was, who was in joy, Mary or Martha? Mary. What was Mary doing? Listening to the word. What was Martha doing? Trying to get everything ready. And what did Jesus say to Martha? 
Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. Don't be troubled about many things. Get those things off your mind. Identify and get rid of the joy killers in your life. Hopefully, just in this little bit we've done here this morning, you have been able to find some joy killers that are in your life. Whether it be fear, whether it be anxiety, there is something in your life that is coming in and is constantly taking the joy and stripping you of it. Get a plan to get that thing out of your life. How am I going to not be anxious anymore? How am I going to stop worrying about this thing? How am I going to do it? How many of you have loved ones that are in dangerous situations or away or overseas or or just... And we think about them and sometimes we think it's the right thing to do to worry about them because that shows I love them. Except the Word of God says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be. So if you are anxious... If you are in worry about that loved one who's somewhere else, are you helping them? Nope. Are you helping yourself? Nope. Hurting yourself, not helping them. So why, why continue to do it? Because I feel like I'm doing something. You are doing something. You're getting rid of your joy. Stop getting rid of your joy. Get those joy killers in your life, identify them, and get them out. And get more of the what is written. These things I write to you, that your joy may be full. Get more of what is written. Now, we're going to spend some more time in the joy area, just looking at joy. How do we get that joy going on in my life? How do I get more of it? What is it that I can do? How is it that I can, how can I look at things differently to have joy? Jesus was on this earth. He looked at people who wanted to kill him. He looked at people who were taking the money in the treasury. He looked at people who were only after him because of what they could personally gain. He had all those kind of people in his life, but yet he still found ways to have joy. Paul writes things about joy. John writes things about John was, was They tried to kill John. Put him out in the island of Patmos, isolated. And what's he talk about? That your joy may be full. Whether you are isolated or whether you have all kinds of people around you in your life is not dependent and whether your joy is full. Your joy can be full if no one is in your life, and your joy can be full if there are lots of people in your life. It is not dependent on the people. It is not dependent on the events. It is dependent on what is written. So we're going to look more about what is written that helps us to keep our joy full. What can I do to keep my joy full? And after we finish joy, we're going to go on to take a look at some other things that we can do in life. Would you all stand up? We have this week, we have communion that we want to participate in together. Didn't have it last Sunday because Brother Marty was here. But we are going to have it this Sunday. Jesus told us in the Word of God, told us about the, the Last Supper. Of course, this was to replace Passover. Passover came in. And that whole thing that they did with Passover lasted a long time. Jesus took out most of that because a lot of Passover just pointed to the Messiah. Messiah is already here. The Messiah has already taken away the sins of the world. So he said, this is what you're going to do now. This is how you're going to celebrate it now. And so 
as they were eating, he took the bread and he broke it and he says, this represents my body, which is broken for you. That upon his body was put all of our sickness, disease, all of our pain. It was all put upon him. We don't have to bear it. He bore it for us. You know, a lot of people are bearing sickness in their, in their body because one of the things that we have from him that keeps sickness and disease away is the joy of the Lord. Word of God says that a merry heart does good like medicine. Yeah. Scientists have even proven a lot of that. The people who are joyful, people who laugh, people who smile, much healthier than people that are grumble, complain, look at the downside all the time. Now be happy, be joyful. You operate that way, you're going to find out. God built you that way. When they find out that the cold and flu get chased away because you're joyful, <laughs> it's just going along with the Word of God. Laughter does you good just like medicine does. Let's go out there and laugh some. Well, uh, before supper, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body which is broken for you. That upon his body, not his blood, but upon his body was put our sickness, our disease, and our pain. It was put upon him. He bore it. When he took the beating from the lashes, that's him bearing your sickness. Him bearing your diseases. Him bearing your pain. He did it for you. Let's remember what he did with his body for us. Let's eat together. And after supper was concluded, Jesus took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, the blood just covered up sins. But in the new covenant, the blood washes it away. Clean gone. And we need to add nothing to it. What Jesus did for us is all that needs to be done. Let's drink together and remember it's his blood that made us pure. Glory to God. Before we go into our praise reports, Candy wanted uh, prayer. Her right ear is stopped up. Feels like she says there's cotton in it. Come on up. We're going to pray over Candy together and then we'll hear about your praise reports for the week. If you didn't write your praise reports down, go ahead and, and do that. Glory to God. Now it hurts. Well, that's we're we're not praying to God to ask for this to be done. We're commanding this thing to open up. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, whatever it is is blocking this ear. In Jesus' name, healing belongs to us. In Jesus' name, ear you open up. In Jesus' name, pain you go away. No more feeling. Like it has been feeling, no more of that cotton feel. In the name of Jesus, we commanded that leave right now. The power of God has come upon her, and healing power flows through her. And it will accomplish its work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. All right, you feel that thing as it go. I want to hear how it's going. Before you get out of here, that thing's got to change. Glory to God. Praise reports. Congratulations. Where's Bruce? I thought I just saw him. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> and she's enjoying a week of vacation from work. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, Ethel said, last Monday I was not planning to go in. However, the Holy Spirit urged me strongly to go into work. Once I arrived, I had a number <clears throat> of calls 
of call-outs, which upset the senator enough (laughs) to call an emergency staff meeting about people calling out. As you can imagine, I did my praise dance both in and out of the office. (laughs) And over there. Oh, and God kept, this is from Dietrich, God kept me from a head-on accident. Thank you in Jesus' name. And then Pastor and I had one that we were, um, we received supernatural favor this week from the bank um, that we were just kind of expecting. But the guy at the bank says, I've never seen this happen. In 16 years of working here, this has never happened. So I praise God for favor. Amen. Yeah, we were looking to get our um, mortgage refinanced because we're still in one of those adjustable rate ones. And pretty sure that once the presidential election hits, that the um, interest rates are going to be going up. I, I know some of the inside stuff that's going on, which apparently not everybody is uh, familiar with, but um, it's been keeping the interest rates low falsely. So they are going to be going on up. So we wanted to get ours refinanced into a fixed rate before we would have that, um, that thing come on up. So glory to God, we got that done. That was a, that was a good thing to, to have going on. All right, let's all stand up. No, we're going to do that in a minute. Dietrich, want a prayer for you? had pain in your body? Muscle spasms. Muscle spasms. All right, let's pray over her. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, healing power belongs to you. In the name of Jesus, healing power goes out now throughout this body. Every muscle spasm in the name of Jesus has to stop. In the name of Jesus, pain has to go. And Father, I thank you that you just relax those things that are going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right. Oh, um, how many of you are staying for the class afterwards, the financial peace class? How many of you have plan- made plans to stay? Can I just ha- have your hand up real quick? One. Six. Okay, great. Um, we do have some people that are coming uh, who aren't involved in the church here. So go out and get yourself something to eat and come on back. If you haven't made plans and you'd like to, you're welcome to come and, st- and stay for it. Um, and this is going to be going on for the next nine weeks. If we need to make adjustments because of holidays, we'll work it out with the class or whatever's best for them, okay? That's it. Yep, all that schedule is in your, is in your um, bulletin to be able to pick up those things so you can see the schedule. It does change a little bit because we have the end times classes coming on there too, and that's already scheduled in there at 1 o'clock on certain, certain days, so we'll have those and we'll be fluctuating. We'll probably make the uh, second class at 2 o'clock. And if you ever saw Dr. Ramsey teach, I saw a little bit of the of those. It's, it's real good. You will enjoy him. So that's going to be starting up here at uh, 1 o'clock. Wednesday night, we do have, we're picking up on Colossians again. We're looking at a prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossian saints. We want you to really get a hold of what this prayer does, what it means, and why you should pray it for yourself. We're going to be looking at that on, on Wednesday. And uh, next Sunday, uh, I think the only thing that's up is the uh, class with Dr. Ramsey outside of the regular service. But have a great rest of the week. Bless some of the folks that are around you before you go. And remember, have good conversations. And if anything in your life wasn't measuring up, whether you're married or not married, if there's something in your life that's not measuring up, that you just turn it around. Just turn it around. Get your joy full. Joy can go from empty to full right away. But you've got to do the things that God says to do. Have a great rest of the week.